Welcome everyone, welcome to Willow Park Church at the South and 33, we're so excited to be here today, Sunday, this is two weeks out from our live gatherings, we're very excited about that, so let's just start with a word of prayer and then I'm going to read a psalm and then we will go into worship. Father, thank you for this day, thank you for this time together, thank you for our church as we meet far and near, we are just so grateful that we can be in your presence wherever we are. I pray today as we worship you, we would we'd be recalling those moments of, of times that we spent well with you and looking forward to more times with you. I just pray that today can be also a moment that we spend with you. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for, for how you care for us and you, how you understand how sometimes when we're distant from people, we don't feel the same way as we normally feel, but your grace covers that. And thank you so much for your grace and your love. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Now I'm going to read Psalm 47 before we head into worship. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Maybe clap your hands at home this morning. That would be kind of, that would be kind of fun. Shh. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under His pe- feet, people under His feet. He subdued nations under us, people under His feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom He loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord, amid the sounding of trumpets, sing praise to God, sing praise. Sing praise to our King, sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble, the people of God of Abraham, for the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Let's exalt God wherever we are today. Amen.
praising your holy name, thanking you for our lives, God, for this life that we live, that we get to live each day as your hands and your feet, God, that we get to serve other people in your name, Jesus. You give us the power and the authority to heal the sick, God, to cleanse the leopards, Jesus, to love. I thank you for that authority that you give us, God. So we step into that. As we worship you this morning, we declare you're the one seated on the throne. God, and we're declaring holy, holy, worthy, worthy are you, Jesus. Do it, you did. 
Spirit, we ask you to be. Ask to be with us. Thank you that you are with us and meeting us where we're at. As we take communion today, we pray that we would feel your heart, feel your conviction, feel your love. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to read a verse here from Hebrews 3 and then read a confession of sin. I've been thinking about how, as we aren't having that weekly accountability of people that we see at our churches, we're not having that weekly time where we know we're going to see our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and understanding that, that we need to keep a pure heart and keep a pure mind and, and, and live our lives 
honoring of Him because we don't have that reminder. And so we can start to slip and we can start to be deceived a little bit. And as we take communion today, let's take a moment to reflect and, and ask ourselves, is that us? Have we slipped? And it's totally understandable because we love being around people and people keep us accountable to the ways of Christ. So let's read this and I'm going to read a confession of sin and then we're going to take communion together. Hebrews 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that no one may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Let us make it our goal not to have our hearts hardened Let us make it our goal to keep strong and keep faithful in our calling to Him, even though things are so different. So I'm going to read this confession of sin. I'll read it slowly. Just just take it in. Take in the words. Take in the confession. If you want to make it your own, please feel free. And then we'll take communion. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Father, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and your love. As we confess our sins, you are faithful to, to forgive us and we move forward boldly to your throne. Jesus, we thank you for, the, for your body. As we remember you, we take this bread and eat it in arms of you. We remember the blood poured out on the cross for our sin. We remember you in anguish and you in pain, but your blood covering our sins. And, and Father, we're welcomed into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink. Thank you for taking communion with me and we're going to sing one more song.
from my enemy till all my fears are gone. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And from my mother's womb, and you have chosen me. Love has called my name. And I've been born again to your family. Blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Let's declare that again. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of
And Father, thank you that we are no longer slaves to fear, even as we sometimes enslave ourselves, we know that we're free by you. Father, we thank you for our church. We thank you for our city. We pray for Kelowna right now as, as things begin to open up and now there's new cases of COVID around. We just ask that you, um, you give us wisdom, you give us protection. We thank you for this land that we live in. We pray for all the churches starting to meet together and, and the churches that are are still online like this. We just pray for wisdom again and protection. We thank you so much for all of our, our friends and family that maybe know you, maybe don't know you. We just ask that you give us opportunity to share your love with them. Lay on our hearts someone that you want us to talk to about you. We just pray we would do that. Thank you so much for the leadership of, of Phil and Glenn. Over this time, we are so grateful for what they have done under such trying circumstances. We're grateful for that. Be with them today. Thank you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to take up this morning's tithes and offerings. So if you want to hit that donate button, that would be fantastic. Um, and, uh, or head on to the website and you can find out how to give there and sign up for online giving. We are so grateful for all the people that have have been able to give, and we pray for those people that, that have lost work. We just pray that jobs will come and your finances will be, will be provided for, as for all of us. We just pray that God will give us what we need. We're going to send it over to uh, the Family News now with Courtney. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us for Church Online, and here's your Family News. We are so excited to announce that our in-person gatherings will be starting on August 2nd at three of our locations in Rutland, in the Mission, and in Lake Country. More details will be coming soon, but to learn more, visit our website at willowparkchurch.com dwell. We are now looking for volunteers at our dwell gatherings. Volunteers will be helping people check in, find their seats, and helping with cleaning and sanitization. If you'd like to be involved, sign up for volunteer training happening next Sunday, July 26th, at both our Highway 33 and South locations. Sign up online at willowparkchurch.com training. Our very first Kids Camp Online is happening this week, July 20th to 24th. Please pray for all of our kids and parents who will be participating. Also, we have another camp happening August 17th to 21st, and it's not too late to register. Learn more on our website at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. Join us after church today for a live Zoom chat with one of our pastors. Simply go on our website and find the link to join. We can't wait to see you all there. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Need any outside influence? We don't need something from the outside telling me how to live my life. That that is rampant, certainly in the West. 
this idea that spirituality needs to fit in with that, which, by the way, is why Buddhism and Zen uh, comes from Buddhism and mindfulness, which comes from Zen, is so popular because there's no outside authority. It's all based on what's going on inside of me, that these terms you often hear, uh, you know, that we can find our own truth, that you can discover who I am. Don't tell me what to do. I am my own self. I want to do what feels good for me. Uh, I want, you know, that you be true to yourself. You be authentic to yourself. These are terms Paradigms, if you like, that our world, our culture in the West, especially in Kelowna, especially in the Pacific Northwest, is rooted in this idea of what is good for you is good for you. Let me discover it myself. I don't need anything on the outside to tell me how to live my life. Thank you very much. We've got hyper-achievement, that this idea of you, there's always something to do, something to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be. You can find your own way with your own truth. That this is a very real lens that our culture looks through. So here's my question. How's that all working out? How's, how's this hyper-individualism actually all working out? How's it working out finding your own truth? How's it working out discovering who you really are? How's it working out not needing any outside influence to tell you what to do? Thank you very much. Don't be so judgmental. How, how is that actually working out? Because the reality is, as I look at the news and I just experience our culture especially, secularism is just increasing at an incredible rate. You've got consumeristic thinking. It, it's, it's crazy. The idea of simple living, and we'll be talking more about simple living in the months to come, especially in the fall when we really dig into some practices, some renewal practices on how to live like Jesus, that uh, materialism and, and simple living is it, just so opposed, and yet we live in a toy-centered uh, society. That if I can just get that next thing, then I'm going to feel better about myself, whatever that thing might be. You know, the, the idea of be whoever you want to be, do whatever you want to do, you can achieve the ultimate, is, is actually creating the opposite effect, especially in young people. Uh, it's just exhausting. It's a constant guilt trip. It's constant shame because you are not like other people. You don't look like this person. You aren't achieving what you think you should be achieving. It's just, it's just constant guilt if you're not careful. It's exhausting. It increases stress. Anxiety and depression are at levels that are unprecedented. You've got sexual confusion. You've got rampant kind of racism and sexism in our society. Families are breaking down faster than ever before. Divorce rates are accelerating. And it does affect the kids, by the way, regardless of what research might say. Experientially, we know that to be true. That broken homes can often lead to broken kids if we're not careful, and parenting versus friending our children. Uh, you've got addiction. You've got uh, deep loneliness. All these things are earmar- uh, trademarks of our society and our culture that is based on the idea of I will find my own truth. And then in steps Jesus. In steps Jesus with a completely different way of living. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So in the middle of this contemporary culture, we have, a, we have a, a resonating message from Jesus in the Bible that says, actually, there's a better way. Um, Edwin Friedman, the family systems theorist, 
He said this, contemporary culture has become so chronically anxious that our society has gone into emotional regression. So we've kind of gone full circle. And Jesus says there's a better way. In Amos chapter 8, God through his prophet Amos talks about how, uh, how people are running to and fro, looking for truth, looking for God. And, and that's our culture. That's our neighborhoods. That's our neighbors. That's our friends. That's the people that we are rubbing shoulders with, socially distanced, of course. But that's the reality, that there's people running to and fro, looking to this thing, looking to that belief. Maybe if I read this book, if I could get that toy, maybe I could join that group of people. Maybe I could have a relationship with that person. Maybe I could just have this experience or go to this place and have this adventure. And we're running to and fro, looking for truth, looking for peace, looking for wholeness, looking for healing, while all the time Jesus says, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. And where do we learn about the way of Jesus and the gospel and the story of Jesus? Where does that come from? Well, our, our founding literature that we look to, of course, is the Bible. And the Bible is an amazing book. Regardless of what you might think of it, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian or you're just exploring Christianity, you might have some very significant views about the Bible. You may be really caught up with some of the troubling parts of the Bible, some of the things that seem to be quite confusing, especially in the light of our modern culture. You might be really stuck on that, and that's understandable. But the Bible really is our founding literature. It's what we go to when we need help. It's where we go to for advice. It's where we go to for wisdom. But more than that, it's where we go to for truth. And this really rubs against our culture because the whole idea is this individualistic, I don't need outside truth. My truth is relative to me. I will find my own truth. And the Bible comes in and says, no, this is truth. And and that's challenging for us. That's difficult for us to wrap our heads around. But the The thing with the Bible and the beautiful thing with it is it's not just a book. It's a library of books. It's it's books about history and poetry. There's even a play thrown in, proverbs that help us on a day-to-day basis. There's letters, there's biographies. There's the four books that are the biography of Jesus. You've got 185 songs in the Bible written over a period of a thousand years by 40 different authors over three different continents Some of it written hundreds of years before Jesus, so thousands of years ago. And then other parts of it, like Matthew, that were just written 20 or so years after Jesus. And you've got this incredible book that is the most, uh, best, I should say, attested and, and, and scrutinized piece of literature from ancient times than we've got on this planet. The best-selling book that we have. It has been examined and researched and picked apart by people who have, a, have a, an ultimate um, kind of, it would be beneficial for them to see that it's pitted with problems. And it has just stood the test of time. Why is it that we're still connecting with the Bible? The truth, this founding truth that as Christians we believe in, why are we still connecting with it? Why are we still connecting with a piece of literature that in many ways is polarizing? Because let's be really honest, and, and this, is, this is just speaking from a pastoral point of view. I know, as far as Christians are concerned, that the amount of reading of the Bible is reducing. 
that Barna did some research. They do a state of the Bible um, research every year. And if you look it up, you can Google it, 2019, and look at some of the, some of the stats around it, that the, the amount of deep engagement that is happening in the Bible from Christians is reducing year by year. Why is that? Because honestly, the Bible is a profoundly powerful piece of scripture, powerful piece of literature. Whether you're a Christian or a skeptic, you read it, you will see that it's a significant book that people are still connecting with. And my hope and prayer is, as a church and as people that we will increase our engagement in the Bible. And I want us to see by the end of my message today why that is so important. Because the Bible speaks to every aspect of our world. I made a list just quickly wrote down some, uh, some things that I know, just literally off the top of my head. It took me like 20 seconds to write this. Um, so without much thought or research, here are just some of the things that the Bible directly addresses. It addresses sex, money, love, hate, sickness, success, selfishness, violence, uh, gender, marriage, rich, poor, parenting, Um, politics, sexual equality, racism, unbelief, insecurity, self-worth, meditation, peace, joy, faith, the end of the world, heaven and hell and everything in between. That's just, that, you know, that's like chapter one. I mean, that, 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 the Bible is immense in its scope. And this is what makes it so relevant. That actually as I read the Bible, and you're going to hear this a little bit more later on, as C.S. Lewis says, it reads me, me. In the 21st century, in Kelowna, it reads me. And yet so many people struggle to read it and apply it. feels a little bit like, you know, when you download that app or um, the, uh, the new thing that you might sign up for on the internet, and then it gives you terms and conditions. And it gives you a box, and you have to, you have to press accept. But oftentimes, it won't, that box won't actually light up and be active until you've scrolled all the way through. I wonder how many of you actually... Spend time reading, studying, meditating, highlighting, showing your friends different parts of those terms and conditions. Or like me, do you just scroll through them, kind of go, yeah, 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 I'm probably signing my kids away. Yeah, 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 you can have my house as well. <laughs> Let's just get to the accept button, accept. Because I just want to get to whatever it is that I'm signing up for. It's not, not like how we treat the Bible, Christian friends. It's like, yeah, 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 I believe it, I accept it, yeah, great. Let's just get to what I signed up for. I just want to get to the joy and the peace and the patience, the kindness and goodness and, and just that I need that help in the time of need. I need something to slap onto my fridge, a good scripture. I just need to get to what I came for. I accept it. I'm not going to study it. I'm not going to meditate on it. I'm not going to spend time in it because, you know, here's just three reasons. Here's, here's three reasons that would be really common as to why people don't actually read the Bible. The first one is, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Second one would be, it's not interesting. Uh, especially in a, in a world where our whole world is activated by keeping your interest hooked. You know, it's got to be bright and beautiful and colorful and interactive and smart. And then maybe the third reason is I just don't understand it, Glenn. I just don't get it. Like there's parts of it just confusing. If you read some of the Old Testament, it's like, wow, this is pretty heavy stuff or this is just confusing stuff. But the reality is this, and this is the foundational part of what I want to share with you this morning. As we're looking in the last few weeks at the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that's kind of vibrated through each message is, in order for us to be salt and light, we need to be like Jesus. 
We need to follow him. We need to follow his commands. In order for us to be like Jesus, we need to have his lifestyle. I shared this last week in some detail. We need to do what Jesus did. We need to think like him, act like him, speak like him, react like him, live our lives like him in every area. And the reality is when it comes to the Bible, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to be passionate about the Bible like Jesus was. So all that is to say this. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, what we see is a section of scripture that goes into detail, spoken by Jesus, his view of the Bible. It's a little bit like at the beginning of a book when you start reading this, especially nonfiction books, and, and you can get them in fiction books as well, where other people of note say, hey, this book is great because you should read it. It'll change your life. It's amazing. It's a bit like Jesus doing that for the Bible. You actually get to see in this scripture, we're going to read together, what Jesus thinks about the word of God. This, remember, Christian friend, is Jesus, the son of God. He was there at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, creating the universe with his father. He was there. This is God's view of his own Bible. That's what we're going to read right now in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There is Jesus' endorsement of the Bible. So let's dig into it. Let's jump into it. Remember, the reason we're doing this is because our culture says you don't need truth. Figure out your own truth. And we can identify that that's not working. And so in the scripture, we're hearing truth as communicated by Jesus. He says, come follow me, read what I read, do what I do. This is what I read. So if somebody really successful came into your world, let's say you really wanted to be extremely wealthy and you wanted to be a stock trader. Warren Buffett comes to you and he says, look, you want to learn about investing? You need to read this book. Everything I learned, everything I need to know about investing is in this book. You do what this book does, you too will be a multi-billionaire. If you were passionate about being an investor, you would take that book that Warren Buffett gave you and you would study it. You would learn it. You would highlight it. You would refer to it. You would do exactly what this book said because you know that your dream will get fulfilled if you do what Warren Buffett, who's just endorsed it, says, look, these are the secrets. Go and do it. Would we not go, right, I'm, let, let's go. I'm going to read it. I'm going to get it on. I'm going to listen to it while I'm biking. I'm going to copy bits of it out. I'm going to talk to my friend. That's 
That's what Jesus is doing here with something far more important than a book about investment. This is about life and death. This is about protecting your kids. It's about having fulfillment and purpose in your life. About love and joy and peace and patience. All those things that we chase after. All those things we yearn for. Jesus is saying, here's the secret. Go read this. Go do this. Go learn this. It has everything you need in there. Wow. That's an amazing gift. This is what Jesus thinks about it. So verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, right? Let's stop there. Law and prophets, kind of a weird um, sounding uh, phrase, the law and the prophets. So the first thing you need to know is that in the New Testament, especially with Jesus, whenever there's a reference to the law and the prophets, he's actually referring to the whole of the Old Testament. So they had in that time, in Jesus' time, they had the Old Testament just like we do in, in, its, in the same books, but on scrolls. They didn't have the apps and the books, obviously, but they had them on scrolls. So the law is the first five books of the Old Testament, the, uh, the Torah or the teaching. And so those five books were, were the law. And then you've got the prophets. The prophets weren't just the minor and major prophets you read about in the Old Testament. They're actually any of the history books. So Joshua, Judges, Kings, Ruth, all those books are the prophets. And then elsewhere in the New Testament, you'll see Jesus referring to the writings. The writings are a catch-all phrase for everything else in the Old Testament. The Psalms, the Proverbs, uh, the wisdom books. Everything else in the Old Testament is the writings. And so Jesus is saying, look, I've come to endorse the Old Testament. I've come to endorse the Old Testament. And all of it is really important. And we know that because he refers to the iota and the dot. In fact, he says it's so important that the smallest iota and the smallest dot will not pass away, will not be dismissed or discounted until actually heaven and earth pass away, which is just a phrase that means that until the universe disappears. Now, that's, a, that's quite the endorsement. Every tiny part of the Old Testament is important, is what Jesus is saying. In fact, it's so important, it's never going to pass away. What do you mean by iota and dot? Different versions have different ways of describing this. Um, you know, especially the King James Version, it's jot and tittle, which, uh, which was, it's unusual to say in the pulpit, I must admit. But that, that, it's the tiny part. So what he's referring to is actually in the Hebrew alphabet, especially the yod, the smallest letter. And then he's also referring to the tiniest flick of the tiniest letter. That's detail. Jesus is saying that none of this will pass away. None of it will go until the universe is actually, everything is accomplished. The universe will pass away before uh, any iota or dot will pass from the law. This word abolish is really interesting because you remember we talked a few weeks ago about the crowd that Jesus was talking to. This is a vast crowd. It says disciples and crowds, a very diverse crowd. So you've got hyper-liberal people in that crowd. You've got hyper-conservatives. You've got progressives. You've got blue-collar workers. You've got the working uh, poor. You've got people experiencing homelessness. You've got a whole gamut of society stood in front of them. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. We see that at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. But the crowds are leaning in. So when he says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish the Old Testament. For those more liberal, uh, anti-establishment kind of type people, they would have gone, really? I thought you were a radical. 
I thought you were coming to kind of turn over tables and cause trouble and change the Old Testament. This is the old way. There's a new way. And Jesus is like, no, I've actually come to endorse it. In fact, more than that, I've come to amp it up. I've come to show you that the Old Testament teaching through the New Testament lens becomes very, very practical. So it says, do not murder. Well, I'm telling you, don't hate people. If you get angry with people, then it's actually like, like murder. So Jesus is amping this up. And this word accomplished until it all comes true. Until all of the Old Testament is accomplished, is what he's saying. Until it all gets done. What's very important to note is this. Not only is Jesus saying it all is true, is true, he's saying it will come true. Everything in the Old Testament is true and will come true. So every promise, every prophecy will come true. It can't be dismissed. It can't be written off. It can't be changed. It can't be tweaked so it applies better into our culture. The whole of the Old Testament is true. Right. If we just pause there for a second. For some listening, that's very problematic. Because there are aspects of the Old Testament that are really difficult. In fact, there are some aspects of the Old Testament that we would say are actually wrong in the sense of morally wrong. It talks about slavery. It talks about the way uh, women and children are treated. It talks about all sorts of different aspects that we know is not good. Now, first of all, I just need to tell you this. Whenever you come up, up to something in the Old Testament that seems to be contrary to something that is taught in the New Testament, then there's a reason for that. And oftentimes, you've got to remember that the Old Testament follows a period of time, what we call the fall in Genesis. And so God created a perfect world, and then it was, it was affected and broken by sin. So you've got Uh, something that was perfect that now is broken, moving into the Old Testament. So things that happened in the Old Testament that God actually had to give boundaries and laws to were not part of his perfect plan. So how do you treat a slave in the Old Testament? We go, slavery is wrong. In fact, Paul says that in the New Testament. So why is there laws around how to treat slaves in the Old Testament? Well, slavery was not part of God's perfect plan. Neither was divorce. Neither was sexual inequality. None of that was part of God's perfect plan. But because he was ruling now a broken world, he said, here are some rules, here are some boundaries while you are living in this. Until my son comes and I will show you a better way. That's really important to know that. So Jesus isn't dismissing the Old Testament saying, well, that's nonsense because it's got things in there that are troubling. What he's saying to us is we need to look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. That's our key. What are the mega themes in the New Testament that we apply onto the Old Testament that actually the Old Testament becomes clearer and cleaner and better in one sense and more, I hate to say this, more acceptable because whenever you read the Bible, it's going to cause you some trouble. But God was giving rules and boundaries to a society that was broken. And in their brokenness, this is how you're meant to live. doesn't mean to say that was God's ideal. We know it wasn't God's ideal because he said so right at the beginning. I'm going to bless you through my son. He knew there was a better way coming. So don't dismiss it, change it, or write it off just because we don't quite understand what's going on in that moment. And I say that to skeptics, and I'm a skeptic. 
It's important to study the Bible. In fact, Jesus said that I've come to fulfill the things in the Old Testament. This, friends, is the key. As we look at the Old Testament, we look at it through the lens of the New Testament and Jesus. Because Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament. The Old Testament exists because of Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus, not us. If you don't remember anything else from my message this morning, remember this. The Bible is not about you, how to live your life, how to have an instruction manual for living, or whatever ever this kind of phrase that sounds good, but it's absolutely unbiblical nonsense. It's all about me. No, it's not about you. It's not about me. This Bible is about Jesus. It's not about us. And that's quite the claim. Hey, guys, this Old Testament, it's all about me. Wow. That's what Jesus is actually saying. So what does that actually mean? Well, as I've said, we need to look at some of the things that are troubling in the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament and Jesus. But also what it's saying is this, is this whole story This whole story of the Old Testament is about Jesus because Jesus fulfills it, makes it full, makes it complete. What do I mean by that? If you don't have Jesus and you read the Old Testament, it's a problem. It's difficult. It's challenging. There are issues in there that actually culturally make it very difficult. But in and of itself, it actually could be quite condemning. You can't fully understand the Old Testament unless you understand Jesus. And you can't fully understand Jesus in the New Testament and the Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount unless you understand the Old Testament. Think of it this way. Without the glass, it's difficult to drink the water. Without the water, the glass becomes pretty useless. So, in a certain extent, as the glass fills, fulfills, if you like completes the glass, its purpose becomes clear. So imagine this picture is Jesus, the water, in the glass, the Old Testament. Jesus in the Old Testament, or looking at the Old Testament with Jesus in it. You can't grasp the water without the glass. And the glass actually is not very helpful without the water. It's a very simple analogy, but it works really well. For you to fully understand Jesus, his calling, his mission, his purpose, and how to follow after him, and to be like him, and to live like him, you need to read and understand the Old Testament. For you to fully understand the Old Testament, for it to become less troubling, for it to be less challenging, and less difficult, and for it to actually become more understandable, you need to read it through the lens of Jesus. What does this say about Jesus? The Bible is about Jesus, not about us. And we need to know that the Old Testament and the New Testament combined is a narrative and a story of a thousand plus steps towards you. It's a story of grace and salvation as being a free gift. It's the story of what he has done for us, what he's willing to do for us, what his plan was for us in the Old Testament. It's the story of how we follow after him. It's the story of being salt and light and the mission on my life. As I read the Bible, my life becomes clearer. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But my life comes into clarity as I read the Old Testament because I find purpose. I find fulfillment as I go into the New 
New Testament, I find hope, I find peace, I find love, I find joy, all those things that we want. But I also find calling. I find this blueprint, if you like, as to how I should live my life. Remember the Warren Buffett thing? Here's the book, read it, go and do what I did. Jesus is saying, look, here's the book. It's about me. And as you read the Old Testament, that's going to become clear if you read it through the lens of me. He says, if you read it through the lens of the New Testament, you're going to see that the Old Testament is precious. You're going to learn things. See, you don't fully understand the cross until you understand the Old Testament. Until you fully understand the Old Testament and the ceremonies and the, and the sacrifices and the Day of Atonement when all of Israel would come and gather around the temple for they were, their sins would be applied to a sacrifice. And as that sacrifice was made, that the sin, the wrath that placed upon them, their punishment would actually be taken by that goat or that sheep. And that, that God would then forgive them. Until you understand the sacrifices in the Old Testament, you don't understand why Jesus came and, and had to be sacrificed for our sins. It's kind of weird. You kind of, well, why did God, why did he predestine Jesus to die on a cross for my sins? Wasn't there a better way? Read the Old Testament. You'll understand. So they're not separate. They're together. It's a lens through which you look. And it's so vital. Look at this beautiful quote from Michael Reeves. But when you see that Christ is the subject of all scriptures, that he is the word, the Lord, the son who reveals his father, the promised hope, the true temple, the true sacrifice, the great high priest, the ultimate king, then you can read not so much asking what does this mean for me right now, but what do I learn here of Christ? He goes on. Knowing that the Bible is about him and not me means that instead of reading the Bible obsessing about me, I can gaze on him. And as through the pages you get caught up in the wonder of his story, whose story? His story. You find your heart strangely pounding for him in a way you never would have if you had treated the Bible as a book about you. You see, if you're coming to the Bible making it about you, and your needs, and your requirements, and your kids, and your money, and your life, that you just need something to make you feel better about where you're at, then you are never going to fully experience the burning heart that those men experienced on the road to Emmaus when Jesus revealed that the whole of the Old Testament was about him. And they said later on, did you not sense that your heart burned? That will happen when you start reading the Bible, recognizing that in this is the word of life and truth. Rather than trying to find truth of your own, in and of yourself, here it is. Therefore, Jesus says, whoever relaxes in the light of all that I've said, in the light of the Old Testament being all about him, in the light of this story of salvation and grace, in the light of it all never passing away until the universe passes away, in the light of all that, Whoever relaxes, put aside, ignores, dismisses, doesn't care about. In the light of whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, the smallest of the commandments. Which commandments is Jesus talking about? Well, here, he's actually, he's talking about Old Testament stuff and New Testament stuff. So it's yes and both. What he's about to say. What his, uh, what his apostles are about to say, and the Old Testament, the least of these commandments, and teaches others to do the same, will be called least 
points. Remember that in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them. Okay, this is a sobering verse. It's saying exactly what it's saying. (laughs) This is where Bible teaching is really easy. Because as a Bible teacher, you can go, um, just read it. If you relax, ignore, put aside, treat as nothing, don't read, don't meditate, don't spend time in, don't study, don't regard the least of these commandments, the Bible, all that Jesus commands, then you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's really sobering. It's like how God treats you somehow is reflected in how you treat the Bible. That caused me to pause. And I was like, is there another way of reading this? Is there another way of studying it? I looked at it and it's like, no, it it is what it is. You treat Jesus and his commandments and the Bible lightly, God treats you lightly. In fact, you can see this mirrored in the Old Testament. So I'm doing exactly what I said before. We take New Testament teaching, we put it on our lens, and we look at the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about this? There will be blessing and cursing. You will be blessed if you follow the commands and the law and the teachings of God. You will be cursed if you don't. New Testament, Old Testament. New Testament lens on Old Testament teaching. It comes even brighter. So God actually treats us differently depending on how you treat the Bible. Blessing and cursing. We should take our study and reading and meditation of the Bible seriously. So when I stand up here all kind of excited, go, hey guys, you should read your Bible. This is the reason why. I want you to be blessed. I want you and yours to be blessed. I want your workplaces to be blessed. I want your places that you spend time in to be blessed. I want your kids, your family, your neighbors, your communities, your city to be blessed because you are blessed. And a large part of this blessing comes through how we take and regard the word of God. And so if we treat it lightly, then God will treat us lightly. And then he says, look, not only should you do it, you need to do them and teach them. We actually need to do it. We need to treat the Bible like our life depends on it. Because it does. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So there will come a time when life will hit you hard. The storm will come. It might be a job loss storm. It might be a financial storm. It might be a medical storm. It might be a loss of a child storm. It might be a loss of a friend storm. That the storm just comes. And Jesus is saying this. Look, if you want to be sure in that storm, you need to hear my words and do them. Hear my words and do them. Don't just believe them. Do them. Because can I tell you that the individualistic frame of mind that says I don't need any truth, I don't need any help, I'm going to find my own truth, well, life starts to crumble when that happens. In every area of our life, we need to be applying the principles of the word of God upon it because we will then be blessed. Because Jesus made it center of his life, so should we. You know, the scriptures were deep inside of Jesus. As you read the New Testament, you'll see that more than 10% of the words in the New Testament that Jesus speaks are quoting Scripture. 
When he's hanging on the cross at the darkest time, when that storm came for Jesus, what is it that comes out of his mouth? It's scripture because it's part of who he is. What do we say when we're under pressure? What do we go to when we're under pressure? You see, we often come and Satan will chip away at parts of our life that he knows are weak because we are not pouring the word of God into it. I'm not talking about treating the Bible like some mantra, like the prosperity gospel talks about. If you say this verse 17 times on a full moon on May the 17th on a Monday, then God is going to give you this like somehow he owes you something. I'm not saying that. It's not how it works. It's not a spell. What I am saying is you read the Bible, you meditate on it, you study it, you see Jesus in it, then it starts transforming your thinking. It starts transforming your words, your your way of life. You become more like Jesus. It's powerful. It's significant. Jesus learnt it. He studied it. He didn't kind of kind of come into the world with the full scripture in his mind. He says he's he's 100% God. He's 100% man. He was a young baby. He had to learn the scripture like you and I would. In fact, history tells us that if you were a Pharisee and you were learned and Paul would have been like this, Jesus almost certainly would have done this, you'd learn the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, off by heart. It was part of who he was. So here's where it gets challenging, and I say this pastorally. As I pull this together, please, please hear me, and I say this lovingly, but just like a dad would say to the kids at times where this is difficult to hear, but it's important you hear because it's actually going to result in blessing to you. Often, the sense around the scripture is this. I believe the Bible is vital. I believe the Bible is from God. This is what People might not verbalize, but this is, seems to be going on. I believe it's vital. I believe it's the word of God. I believe it's a gift of God. I believe that it's really, really important. But no, I don't read it. It's insane. Why would you, having been given Warren Buffett, investor, here is the key, and you want to be an investor? Yeah, no. I'm going to do my own thing. That makes no sense. In the same way, Jesus is saying, here is the word of God. None of this will pass away. Every spot of it is all about me. Read it. You want to learn how to be like me? Read it. You want to learn to think and speak like me? Read it. Study it. Meditate it. And we go, thank you? No, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to become more like you, Jesus, in my own way. It's insane. What we have is a tremendous gift. Think of it this way. We're in the middle of COVID-19. It's terrible. People are dying. It's awful. I'm speaking to a nearly empty room because of it. Let's just say that we actually got the vaccine in a vial. And I I don't know how they're going to do it. And I know it won't be like this. So just forgive me for the sake of the illustration. They send it to you through the post to inject yourself. How fun would that be? And it's fully tested. It works. You know it works. It protects you and your family. Done. Deal. There it is in your hands. And you go, no, I'm going to just protect myself in my own way. That would be insane. You'd be like, get that in me now. Because I want what it promises. How much more? Get that Bible in me now. Because I want what it promises. I want what it promises to give, what Jesus himself endorses. He made it center of his life. Let me finish with this. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. When he said this, minds would be blown. What? How are we going to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? These guys were the ultimate rule followers. They were like guaranteed to be righteous because they followed all the laws. Jesus is saying, yeah, take them, amp it up. Take that, amp it up. You need to be better than that. What did he mean by that? Really simple. Here's what he meant. See, the scribes and Pharisees followed the laws, 613 of them, the Ten Commandments, all that Levitical ceremonial diet, sacrifice, uh, all those laws. They followed them. They were fantastic at it. A bit legalistic, but great at it. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, do not murder. I say to you, don't get angry. See, the Pharisees were really good at not murdering, for example, because you can just make a decision not to do that. Arguably, you can make a decision not to be too uh, hateful towards people. But dealing with anger is a heart issue. How do you stop that? See, Jesus is saying, look, the scripture and the story of the scripture, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ changes your heart. So your righteousness will exceed that of the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes. You will be better because your heart will be different. One of the greatest challenges we have in our society right now is this misunderstanding and this, this, this hatred between groups. How is that ever going to change? By making a decision just to act differently or a change of heart? Where does that change of heart come from? It comes from the scripture, transformation, that Jesus is actually saying, you can be transformed. Read the word, see the gospel, see that your life, your sin, your shame, applied to the cross, coming to Jesus, asking for forgiveness, and your life being applied to him. Your sin and shame dying with him, your newness of life coming from him, your new heart coming from him, then you can have transformation. You can be completely and radically changed. When you read the Bible, when you see the story of the Bible, when you see the million plus steps that God took towards you to show you how much he loved you by sending his son for you and sending his son for me. There is transformation in the Bible. Friends, here it is. Read it. Well, I don't have time. What? Uh, I don't know. It's a bit boring. What? Let's spend time studying it, meditating it on it, learning it, get it in our minds, get it in our hearts. It will bless you, it will change you, it will transform you. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Really, really simple. Really simple. There's a little acronym I'm going to show you. And many of you may have some beautiful habits that you have around the Bible. Habit is really important. Practice is really important. Daily is very important. Let's not diminish the Bible to a verse pop up on our phone as we switch our phone on in the morning. Like, oh yeah, there's the verse. Well, that'll carry me through the day. Let's, it's more than that. How do we get it in us? Really simple. REAP. This is not my acronym. This is very well known. You can Google this and, and get help around it. Read it. Read it. Like, Follow a Bible reading plan. Read the thing. Get it into your mind. Get it. Speak it out. Copy it out. Listen to it. Whatever it might be, but read it. Study it. Get those things that you struggle with and and study them. Don't just dismiss them because that's being 
exactly what Jesus said not to do. Study it. You'll grow as you read it. Explore it. There is so many great uh, resources on the internet now as to digging into what you read. So here's what I do. I have a Bible reading plan. I read it. Um, it's like four different sections of the Bible each day, maybe a chapter on each. And I highlight verses that stand out to me. And then at the end of that, I get my journal and I copy out those verses into my journal and I just pull them apart a little bit. What is it trying to say? What, you know, maybe I'll pull a, um, some research off the internet and then I apply it. What's this got to do with me, my kids, my marriage, my ministry, my church, my city, my neighborhood? What is God trying to tell me about this verse? And then often that will lead me to a point of needing to ask for forgiveness and confession and ask for his help. You use this simple acronym in your day-to-day Bible reading, then you'll find that you'll be transformed. As C.S. Lewis said, it's like uh, the Bible, when you read it, it's like looking through a peephole and seeing an eye looking back at you. When I read that, it kind of freaked me out a bit, got to admit. Um, But he's like, look, when you read the Bible, it reads you. You'll see God starting to speak to you. The words of Christ go, do, be this way, be like me in this way. So, friends... Read the Bible like Jesus did. Read the Bible like your life depends on it. Read the Bible through the lens of it all being about Jesus. Read the Bible like it's a story written specifically to you. A million steps towards you. That Jesus loves you. Discover his truth rather than trying to discover your own truth and reap the blessing. That's my prayer for you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Um, We love you. We miss you. We're looking forward to seeing more of you in the next couple of weeks. Keep an eye on what's going on in our services. August 2nd, we're starting to gather together. We had training today. Uh, We're excited to see you, um, but we're praying for you. And uh, I was a little bit longer today, but this is is a topic that's so important. So I hope you stuck with me right to the end. But uh, God bless you. I'm going to pray really quickly for you and then let you go. Father, Thank you for the gift of the word. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that we will take this gift and we will make it part of who we are and what we do. Lord, I pray that you would transform us. Every promise, every prophecy would become part of our life. That, Jesus, that we become more like you. Lord, we're grateful for you. Thank you, Lord, for this technology that allows me to share your word with others. But Lord, I pray it comes alive in everybody who hears it now and in the future. Lord, thank you for your word. Guard us, Lord, from ever treating it in a frivolous way. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for your sacrifice, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. God bless you.